Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. I'm Nelson Prager. I've been with the church uh, for 50 years or so. Uh, one of my duties is to buildings and ground maintenance, and also and uh, I just love doing the work for the Lord. And our scripture this morning is took from John 3, 16 through 21. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believed in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light, of the, the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone does evil, hates the light, and avoids it so that his deeds may be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Uh, me again. Um, I am really glad to be back with you guys. If you didn't happen to already turn in your Bibles, get them open to John chapter 3. Uh, and as you're turning there, I uh, just kind of want to catch you up on some of the things that have been happening. Uh, I haven't been here the last two weeks. My family hasn't been here the last two weeks, per se. Uh, I've gone on three different trips to three different states, I think, or two different states. Um, uh, Two of them were ministry trips. Uh, one was a pastor's conference. Another one was a marriage that I got to officiate. And then one of them was a little bit of a vacation. Uh, I took my kids down. Uh, it was just the kids and I. It was a blast. And then I had some time with my brothers. Uh, and yes, uh, I did do some fishing. Um, apparently, uh, you guys have heard some pretty wild stories about what that might have entailed. And so uh, what I want to do is just bring you back to reality of what that really was. Um, let's see here. Can where to go? That's that's actually what was happening. Um, I was not wrestling leviathans. Um, it was simply simply that. Okay, so so don't get your expectations up of greater stories than that that I can offer you. Um, that uh, could have been a bait fish, right? Uh, no, that was what I caught with a bait. I, 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 it, the bait was about that size as well, and I told that fish, you need to pick on someone your own size, and I gave it a kiss and sent it back. <laughs> yes, I kiss fish that I catch, because I don't catch them that often anyways. Anyways, uh, while I was gone, you guys were in really good hands, weren't you? Um, you were in Jesus' hands. <laughs> so, of course, they're the best hands. But, uh, goodness, we had our brother, Pastor Ethan, 
preached two Sundays ago, and then our brother Austin preached last Sunday. And goodness, uh, you could either see the light or feel the heat in both of them, couldn't you? All right? I praise the Lord for them. I asked each of them to continue on in the Gospel of John uh, through John chapter 3, and they started in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. So Ethan had verses 1 through 8, and then Austin had verses 9 through 15. When I told these guys, that, or I asked them to, to, to take the pulpit for those two Sundays, and, and I told them what passages I was giving them, Austin jokingly said to me, so you're keeping John 3.16 for yourself, aren't you? And, and, and I, I want to just go ahead and put this out there. Uh, I outlined this whole series before I even knew I was going to be gone. And I didn't even know who was going to be preaching that Sunday, but I outlined it that way mainly because there's a break in the text. There's a paragraph break. There's a new paragraph starting in verse 16 in the Greek. So I'm not trying to keep it for myself, though I am eager to preach it, and I love to preach John 3.16, particularly because, goodness, uh, one commentator put it this way, it is is the most famous uh, pieces of literature uh, in all of history. One commentator said it's the most famous sentence in all of literature. And, and it makes sense, right? There's a particular beauty to this verse, right? A particular beauty that proclaims a very simple gospel. And it's incredible. But that's the verse by itself. We don't often move on to verse 17 or even go down to verse 21 because some of that gets a little uncomfortable for us, doesn't it? But when you throw in verses 17 through 21 into our understanding of what we mean and what we see in verse 16, this anthem of the verse, for, the anthem of the, ver, of the church verse takes on just this whole new dynamic, this whole new depth of gospeliciousness, okay? So so it's an incredibly beautiful passage. Why? Because at the heart of this all is God's heart of love for the world. It's God's heart of love for the world. And what makes it so beautiful is because the world's still trying to figure out what love is, isn't it? The world's doing an incredible job at trying to pinpoint what it means when it says, I love you. Or I love this, right? I mean, why do you think Hathaway, you'll know what I'm saying when I say it, asks 14 times in their song, what is love, in their song called, what is love? They ask it 14 times. Yes, I sat there and counted it. If you don't know that song, I'm not going to sing it for you. Don't go watch the music video. But it's one that I grew up with. What is love? Baby, don't hurt. Anyways. You know what I'm talking about, right? Guys, that song came out in 1993 and they're still trying to figure out the answer for it. Right? How do I know this? It's because our culture is still asking the question. You can can see it nowadays uh, through some pop culture. So for example, I'll give you an example of how the world still hasn't figured it out yet. Um, at, At the Tony Awards in 2016, I'm not expecting you to be able to recall that, but uh, there's an there's a actor, a producer, his name is Lin-Manuel Miranda, right? Uh, he's a pretty talented dude, and he shared a really impassioned sonnet uh, when he accepted his uh, Tony Award for the best, uh, best score. And it, it's, a, it's a moving sonnet, don't get me wrong, really moving, moving. It's a, there's a beauty to it. Um, but let me, let me read to you what he said, part of what he said. This is kind of halfway through it. We live through times when hate and fear seem stronger, We rise and fall in light from dying embers. Remembrances that hope and love last longer. And love is 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 love love, cannot be killed or swept aside. Do you remember that part? 
Love is love is love is love. That really, that soared to the top of the most repeated phrases in, in our culture, did it not? It became a, a very much a cultural mantra. And it sounds beautiful, right? There's a beauty to it. But I gotta tell you, friends, the logic side of me says that does nothing to enhance the conversation. That does nothing to help explain and pinpoint what we mean when we say love. So, so I've already explained this, and some of you might get annoyed with me. Uh, my, I have a background in math, right? So I, I was a math tutor in college, uh, and so I, I, logic is a part of math, or math is a part of logic, right? And so, so I, I approached this understanding, love is love is love, mathematically in my head. So in math, we use what's called variables, right? You know what a variable is? It's a letter that's kind of like a placeholder. It was the most annoying thing for you in algebra, wasn't it? Because you always had to figure out what it was. Right? So, for example, let's say the variable is the letter A. Simply put, easy. The, letter is the, the, the variable is the letter A, and it represents a value that we don't know. We've got to figure it out. So that's algebra. That's what it works. But, but, but what if I told you A equals A? Well, of course it does, right? Yeah, A equals A. Uh, uh, seven equals seven, seven doesn't equal six, seven doesn't equal, like, of course, A equals A, variable A equals variable A, of course it does, but does that help explain what A is? Not at all, right? Not even if I say A equals 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 A over and over and over and over and over again, right? It does nothing to show you what A is, does it? Just that it means itself. Perhaps the intent, and I'm thinking this is, this is it, the intent to say love is love is love is love is love means that love is undefinable. In other words, they're saying that love can mean whatever you want it to mean. Because love is love is love is love. It can, it can be whatever you want. You, you, you can't really define it. That's, that's all I can extrapolate from that illogical Equation that doesn't actually enhance the conversation. That, that love can be whatever you want it to be. Love is love is love, right? So let's just follow that to a logical end where uh, let, let's follow that argument. If that's the case, then whatever twisted craziness that's going on between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard that you know is getting all the press in the media right now, even over the war in Ukraine, then whatever's going on in that relationship or whatever went on in that relationship, somebody could be like, oh, that's love. I'm not saying they are, but if love is undefinable, then that's love, if they think it is. Because don't worry, don't worry, no, 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 define love however you want to define it, because love is love is love, right? Absolutely wrong, absolutely wrong, no, no, true love has been Defined True love has been shown to us, not by what we can find within this world, but by, by he who loves the world and created this world. So, so our God has answered Hathaway's question. What is love? Our God has answered this age-old question. And so today's message is simply titled, The Way of Love. It's the way of love. Now, let me put us back into context Okay, 
Remember, Ethan talked about the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. God's word talks about how Nicodemus was a religious leader who came to Jesus because he saw the signs Jesus was doing. Now, Jesus reorients his whole thinking. He's saying, you're distracted by something. Let me tell you what I'm really doing. And he talks about the kingdom of God. He talks about needing to be born again, regenerated as a new creation, which was part of the old covenant or part of the new covenant promised in the old. And then Austin picked it up from there and he talked about how just Nicodemus just really wasn't getting it because Nicodemus needed to be born again. And then, and then God, uh, Jesus explains to Nicodemus what God's plan ultimately really is. It's to lift up the son of man, which is an allusion back to the book of Daniel in chapter seven, this exalted one who slays a vile beast. The son of man's gotta be lifted up on a pole like Moses lifted up a bronze serpent up on a pole for the salvation of Israel when they were being bitten by snakes because of their sin. And all that was asked of them was to look upon the snake and they would be saved Look upon the very thing that's striking you and you'll be saved. That's why Jesus became sin for us. That's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. So that's where we're at. And there's some debate starting in verse 16 as to whether or not this is Jesus still talking to Nicodemus or this is John the apostle coming out of that conversation and narrating his own thing. Either way, we know John was under the inspiration of scripture, so ultimately it is Jesus. Okay, so we're gonna leave it in red letters and we're gonna leave it in the conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. So he's still explaining what's going on here. Jesus is still explaining what the real priorities of God are and what the priorities of his kingdom are to someone who thought they knew it all too well, but they didn't have a clue. And so that's where we're picking up. And so what we're gonna see today, if you write notes, you can go ahead and kind of outline your notes in this way. We've got three different um, breakdowns of the text, three different uh, things that are defined in this text, three parts. First one is God's mission. Can you say that? One, two, three. God's mission. The second one is God's means. Say that. And the third is God's motive. Say that. Now write those down and outline your notes that way. First, God's mission. God's mission. So we see that in the text. We're asking the question, what is God working to accomplish? The, 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 look at verse 17, actually. If you, if you look at verse 17, after you've written that down in your notes, it says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The, the word sent, if you read through the Gospel of John, you should highlight it every time you see it because it's one of the most key concepts in the Gospel of John, one of the most repeated phrases or words used. It implies uh, uh, being appointed to a certain task, right? To something to be accomplished. What was Jesus sent to do? God appointed Jesus. God assigned Jesus the task of what? What was he sent to do? To rescue the world to rescue the world. And so I'm already, this is going real quick, isn't it? God's mission, here's the answer, world rescue. The domination part comes later. World rescue. That's God's mission is world rescue. Jesus even makes sure that we understand it both in the positive and in the negative. He came to rescue, not to what? What does it say? Not to condemn. Jesus came not to condemn 
but to save, to rescue. So, so what does that first then imply about the condition of the world? It, it needs rescuing. It needs saving. It needs to be brought out of the miry pit that it's been plummeted into. It needs rescue. Guys, let me kind of show you how we can know that. The word world in the Gospel of John is cosmos, and it's often used in other texts as well that way. But it isn't talking about the physical earth. In other words, when God says God so loved the world, it's not, he's not a tree hugger, right? He doesn't go tie himself to trees and make sure the earth gets preserved, right? No, no. Uh, the word world here, it's talking about the humanity that dwells on it. It's talking about human affairs. And here's the stink of it. If you were to track how the, the gospel of John refers to the cosmos, refers to humanity, the world, uh, Every, almost every time it's brought up, none of them are usually good. None of them are, are, are good. No, 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 they're not, they're not good. Uh, John paints this picture in his gospel of the world being that part of humanity that's set in rebellion against God. They're unable to even recognize him when he shows up. And not only that, they're, they're under the curse of sin. Guys, I, I hear it all too often, this, this conversation, especially with people who don't have a, a Christian worldview, I, I hear it all too often, I believe people are inherently good. I believe people are inherently good. That's what they say, right? And, and guys, that's not the Christian perspective. That's not the Christian worldview. People are inherently valuable, and they have an incredible potential for goodness, but they're not instinctually, naturally good. If you don't believe me, um, no insult, look at your own kids. They come out of the womb, they grow up a little bit, they start getting a personality, and then they start what? Tantruming. You, did, you, did you teach them how to tantrum? Did you show them? This is what you do when you're really mad. Right? Did you do that for them? Or did you, did you teach your kid how to smack their brother whenever they did something wrong to him? Did you teach them that? No, was that instinctual? Yeah, did you teach your kids how to lie? If anybody says yes to this, then we've got, we've got more discipleship that needs to happen later. No, we don't do that, but somehow they know how to do it. Right? It's instinctual. It comes, it's part of us, right? It, one commentator said, we do not live in a nice world that God seeks to make nicer. No, we live in a world that repudiates the truth and replaces it with fashionable truths. So if, 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 if it's not the case that the world's in desperate need of a rescue, then why would God, the all-knowing supreme being who created the world itself and knows it very intimately, be like, I'm going to send my son. I think it needs rescue. I'm not sure. No. We wouldn't have needed to light if the world wasn't already dark. So, and that's the verdict. That's the judgment that's even expressed in this passage. Look at verse 19. It says, this is the judgment. Some translations, this is the verdict. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. No wonder we don't often quote that with John 3.16. I mean, does, this te- does that itself sound like a morally neutral humanity? No. No. 
Guys, the affections of humanity are corrupt. Our desires are deeply fallen. We're not naturally eager to be redeemed. No, instead we naturally love darkness instead of the light. In fact, we instinctually hate the light. Why does, why, why, why does that happen? What, what, what does the text say? It's because light exposes things. Light exposes what's true about us, right? So we want to we hide away in our brokenness. We want to hide away in all that. The world doesn't want to step into the light. It naturally rejects the light. But this, this shouldn't surprise us, right? It doesn't catch us off guard or shouldn't catch us off guard. We, we, this makes sense almost, right? We, we instinctually kind of know this per se, maybe not overtly, but, but if you pay close attention enough to the world around you and to the people around you, you'll see that this is pretty natural. So, for an example, I mean, you can, you can hear it uh, when your coworker laughingly recounts the events of his night before when he's taking his girlfriend to a certain restaurant in the small community where he lived only to find his wife's car parked outside. So he goes to another place but has to make sure the coast is clear before he leaves. That guy thinks he's in charge. He thinks he's free. He's hiding in the dark. Sin turns all of us into citizens of the night. Sin causes all of us to be committed to really low light living. We hide away, we deny, we cover, we lie, we excuse, we shift, we shift the blame, we rationalize, we defend, and then we explain why we defended. Guys, these are, these are all acts of darkness by people who fear exposure. But that's the condition of humanity. It's broken, it's, it's sinful, and we're trying to put on makeup in the dark. So because of this, verse 18 says something that's a really hard truth to swallow. It says that we're condemned. Verse 18, look at it. It says, anyone who believes in him, in, in the Son, is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. So as you notice the tense of the, of the word condemnation or the, or the tense of the condemnation, it says it's already true about us. We're, we already are condemned. So, 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 so mainly that's why Jesus didn't come to condemn us. It was already a thing. It was already the state we were in. It was already the reality that defined us. Guys, in a, in a courtroom, right? Picture yourself in a courtroom, right? What is it that condemns somebody? It's not the jury, it's not the judge, it's not the lawyer, it's the evidence. That's why we have the phrase, it's condemning evidence, right? And then what is the sentence? Well, here we see in the very verse that we quote all the time and we put on our coffee mugs, to perish. If we don't believe in the Son, we're condemned to perish. To perish. Guys, keep that in the context of of Moses and the snake, guys. It's just like being bitten by a, a venomous snake. The venom has entered into and is running its course through our very veins and we just kind of wander aimlessly without any hope and then finally the, the destruction of the cells in our body starts to happen and we decay and perish. 
eventually dying. As the, the world is already condemned, it's condemned to perish because of its sinfulness and, and its own love for the darkness. This isn't really unicorns and rainbows now, is it? Like, are you, are you feeling the weight of this? You thought we were going to be in John 3.16. Goodness, whew, this is a great Sunday. Wait, the world's broken? Guys, this is, this is heavy. You might be asking, I thought you said this was gospelicious. I thought you said this was a, a beautiful thing. You might be asking that. Here's why it's so beautiful. It's because God's mission is to rescue us out of that brokenness. Out of everything that's been fallen due to sin. He's come to rescue us out of it. God sent his son to take it away from us or take us away from it and all of its condemnation and all of its perishing. He came to to rescue us from its curse. Because that's what we mean whenever we say Uh, God's mission is world rescue. God's mission is world rescue. And guys, I'm I'm not talking about a cute show like Paw Patrol. Go rescue them, right? You have a theme song breakout. Yeah! No, no, we're... This is, this is salvation. This is redemption. This is our eternal souls at stake. This is rescuing us from death and raising us to life. Guys, Jesus came to rescue. He came to save. And Nicodemus is finding out that God's mission isn't just specific to the Jews anymore. That God's mission is to rescue the whole of the world as bad and as broken as it is. Not to condemn it. Jesus came to rescue, not to condemn. In other words, if you and I go into an encounter with the living Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, and we leave that encounter feeling more condemned, then you've missed his heart. Then you've missed his mission. How then is God going to rescue the world? How is he going to save the world? Well, that's where we get to God's means. We see it in verse 17. Take a look there. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through what? His son. Through him. In other words, you've already seen it up on the screen. God's means of rescue, his son. His son. As God sent his son to rescue the world through the son. How is he going to do it? Well, verse 16 tells us what that means. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son. As the word gave means to offer up. It means to, to hold out to another. As Nicodemus is wondering here if Jesus was sent to raise up an army and to push back the forces of the Roman Empire and establish Israel again as its own sovereign nation. But Jesus is explaining here that he's been sent as a sacrifice. He's been sent as an offering to be lifted up like the snake. Now, one of the things that's really easy is for us to look back and understand what all God gave his son 
means. But to Nicodemus, all he could associate it with was the snake at that time. Jesus had yet to be crucified. But you and I look back on this with 2020 vision, do we not? And we see what it means when God gave his son. We see what it means when Jesus is given. Guys, he walked into this world to walk through our death. But he didn't simply just die. No, he was beaten, he was mocked, he was flogged, he was crucified on a wooden cross on his way through death. And then he, not only that, but he also became the curse of sin, the very thing that struck us. He was stricken with the same venomous sin that poisoned our souls. And then he was condemned Guys, he, he didn't just simply leave heaven for us. He endured hell for us. And all of that contained in the single phrase, God gave his one and only son. And if you and I just look at him, if we just believe him alone for our rescue, not tr trusting in ourselves or our good works or accomplishments or accolades to, to rescue us, but no, him alone then will be rescued. Look at verse 21. It's at the end. Anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light. In other words, if you want to be marked by truth, you're going to come to Jesus so that your works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Guys, this, this gospel, it's going to out every single one of us to have this condition. It's, it's, got, it's got the ability to just kind of out all of us and say, no, we're, we're all wicked. We're all broken. Which, when I go and stand under that light, it means I don't have to pretend any, I'm, I'm anything that I'm not for you or anybody else. If I'm willing to go stand under that light, then goodness, I don't have to play a part anymore. I don't have to try to hide things. I don't have to be a puppet. I don't, I don't have to do any of that. No, no, no. Any work that's good and pleasing to God is what he's already done because it's accomplished by him anyway, so I can't even boast of myself. It's literally just all him. But standing in the light lets you and I both be free to say, yeah, I'm messed up. I'm broken. I'm not okay. But Jesus has set me free from bondage to brokenness and he's raised me to life and I am no longer condemned by my pride or by my lust or hatred. No, in fact, God is working within me to cleanse me of those tendencies and one day he's gonna complete it. Guys, living in the light is the most free way to live. There's nothing to hide. So we've, we've got God's mission which is what? What is God's mission? World rescue. What's God's means? His son. But to most of us, right? Let's just really think about this for a second. Doesn't this seem pretty like borderline insane? This doesn't make sense. You and I, we, we've, we've done the hard work of looking at the condition of the world and how broken and rebellious it is against God, how much it instinctually hates God, and yet God's mission is to rescue the world by means of giving his own son, his only son. 
That's insane. Guys, I'm going to say this. I don't mean any offense at all. I love you all deeply. I lay my own life down for you. By God's grace, don't take offense, I've got one son, okay? Given the choice, I wouldn't trade my son's life for any of you. I love you. I wouldn't trade my son's life, especially for my own. I hope you don't take it. I hope you're like, man, Scott really doesn't like us. He's not willing to give up his son for us. Jeez. If that's what you're taking away from this, goodness, we're missing it. Guys, there's not a single person that I do that for. He's my son. He's my only one. I mean, I'm I'm not trying to be intentionally mean here. Paul uses the same logic when he says this in Romans 5, 7. He says, rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might dare to even die. He's using the same logic. Goodness, I I just, I can't begin to fathom the the depth of my hatred for anything that would try to rob me of my son. Like, Like Chuck Norris, he'd have a time with me. But for God, for God to look at an utterly depraved and wicked world that hates him and rejects him, and for him to say, I want to rescue you. I want to rescue you, and I want to bring you back to me. So here's my only son. He's the only one that I have. That just completely overwhelms me. Like, like what on earth would motivate that? What within God could ever be like, yeah, yeah, okay, I, I can do this, I, I'm doing this. Like what could motivate that? His love. I should say God's motivation, God's motive. It's his love. Guys, remember that the Son of Man has to be lifted up like a snake so that that people who believed in him could have eternal life. Why? Verse 16, take a look. Verse 16, because God loved the world in this way. He loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Guys, when I talk to my kids about how much I love my children, uh, and, and I ask them, how much do you think I love you? They usually say something like, oh, you love us bigger than the whole wide world. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. That's sure, yeah, that's absolutely true. We do the same thing here with this text, don't we? God's love for the world, oh, it's so big. It's the whole world, right? It's so admirable because he, he can love the whole wide world. That's not the intent of that. When Jesus says God loves the world, this is what's behind it. God's love is so admirable, not because the world is so big and beautiful, but because the world is so bad and broken. God's love is so admirable, not because his love is so big that it can cover the whole world. It's, it's his, his love is so gracious that it can love a broken, bad world. That's what's so admirable about this text. Strip it out of the context and you'll get, oh, it's so big. 
Keep it in the context. Oh, his love for us is so amazing. So undeserved. As normally when we see someone who's convicted of a pretty heinous crime, right, we usually we're pretty repulsed by them. We're disgusted by them. We keep our distance from them, right? Not God. No, no, not, not God. He, he, he actually comes to our rescue. No, he, he doesn't lean away. He, he leans in. He doesn't run away. He seeks us out. He comes after us. Why? What could impel that within God? It's his love. Guys, you and I are really good at preaching a gospel that leaves people believing that God uh, delights to condemn and begrudgingly loves. But that's not this. That's not this gospel. God's aim, his whole purpose in sending his son as an offering was to show us, to make manifest for us his love. Because this is the crux of everything in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Because the initiating cause of everything good that God has provided for us in his son is God's overwhelming, his never-ending, his never-failing, his unstoppable, his amazing love. And so what he's doing here is he's confronting you and I and Nicodemus' dark thoughts of God and our chronic insistence that the love he gives us must have an end point, must have a limit, must have a point at which it finally runs dry. That's what he's confronting and that's what John the Apostle means when he writes one of his letters in, in 1 John 4. It says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God's love was revealed, manifested, put before us so that we could see it in Jesus going to the cross, in God sending his son. As this, this is love. Oh, oh, but it's not, it's not the kind of love that you and I are familiar with, right? Not, not especially in the English language. Uh, our English language is terrible with this word love, right? When, when you and I can use the word love in relation to uh, the amount of affection that we have for our wives and at the same time use it for a four-piece supreme combo from Bojangles, that's not making sense of love, is it, at all? No, 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 something's messed up especially because you and I really have lost the ability to, to be able to really love in this culture these days. We're, being, we're, being, we're breathing in a, a kind of air that just doesn't even know how to love because we're all just sitting back waiting for everyone else to give us something. And until they make some sort of deposit to us, we're not gonna give a lick. No, 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 when we look for relationships, we usually start by asking the question, oh, oh, does that person give enough into the relationship for me to give back to them in the relationship? Are they giving into this relationship as much as I am? Because you know, if, if you, you know the truth is you're, you're not supposed to spend more time investing in somebody than they're willing to invest in you. They're not putting in as much in this relationship as I am, so I have to purge that toxic relationship. It's literally the language being used. Probably not with as much sass. Does that, does that sound like God at all here? Oh, nope, that world, they're toxic. They're not putting enough in this relationship. Mm. Purged. 
No, 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 no. Did God wait for us to invest in this relationship enough before he came after us? Did, did, God, did God purge the toxic relationship that we weren't giving back in? No, 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 no. God didn't wait to love us once we became strong, but while we were still weak. God didn't start loving us after we started to overcome our sinfulness, but while we were still drowning and wallowing in it. God didn't start liking us once we started liking him back no he loved us while we were rebels guys God initiates he loves first he chases us down because this is the way God loves Jesus is the way God loves you and me He gave his one and only son. If you believe in the son, you won't perish from the condemnation that's already ours. No, but we'll live knowing and enjoying God now and forevermore. (laughs) So to review, God's mission is what? God's means, God's motive. Let's be careful at this point. Let's be careful because one thing we love to do is we love to apply God's word in a way that gives us a goal to get after, that gives us a discipline to develop within our lives or, or maybe like a, a, a silver bullet that's gonna put an end to all of our problems. Guys, don't moralize this text. Don't don't make this a list of commands. Don't take this to mean that, oh, this is how you should love, so go and do that. If I were to leave you with that, then I'd be misusing this text because there's, there's, there's other passages that do that. Hey, here's how God loves. Love one another in the same way. There's other passages that do that, but this one doesn't, so don't misuse this text. Even if that was the intent, Even if it was, hey, this is how God loves, so go do the same. I don't think that you have a son somewhere that you can go up and offer for the redemption of the whole world. You think you can love that way? No, I don't have a son like that that's able to do that. No, no, that's, that's, that's not the intent of this text. Don't try to develop some sort of ethic or, or, or moralization or behavior modification out of this text. Don't do that. No, no, no. What is Jesus doing here? He's evangelizing. He's proclaiming the gospel, which means this text is intended to be gospelized. It's, it's, it's meant to, to flip the whole world upside down with this scandalous, this radical good news that God really does love a rebellious world. So, so how then do we respond to this text? Well, there are really two ways you can. One of them you might already be in, The other one might need to change. Two ways that you can live in light of this incredible love. The first is to live for this love. And the second is to live from this love. Let me explain what I mean. You can spend your whole life living for this love, meaning you can spend a lifetime trying to 
earn this love, trying to work to maintain this love through your performance or through your investment into good enough works in the relationship in order to keep this kind of love. You can, you can, you can think that you have to improve yourself in order to get back this love because you lost it when you messed up. You can spend your whole life trying to live for this love. And most likely, that's what Nicodemus understood. Nicodemus most likely was living for the love of God through his good works, through his ability to keep the law, through his ability not to stumble. To live for God's love. But this is not the gospel. This is not the state of us as new creations in Christ Jesus. No, 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 no. This text ultimately is saying that you and I can live from this love. Meaning, meaning you and I can, 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 can allow this gospelishness, good news, into the very depths of our souls that, that God loves us even when we're at our worst. He, he loves us even though he's intimately aware of all of our brokenness and all of our bad habits. He loves us even though he knows the worst parts of us. He treasures us so much so that he gave up his son to a bloody cross for you and for me. We live from this love. Let me share with you maybe a testimony that would explain what this looks like. This is Brother Lawrence. He was a brother from the Reformation age. He says this, I consider myself as the most wretched of men, full of sores and corruptions and as one who has committed all sorts of crimes against his king. Moved with deep sorrow, I confess to him all my wickedness. I ask his forgiveness. I abandon myself in his hands that he may do with me what he pleases. (laughs) That sounds like the first half of this sermon, wasn't it? Here's the second half. This king, full of mercy and goodness, very far from chastising me, embraces me with love, makes me to eat at his table, serves me with his own hands, gives me the key of his treasures. He converses and delights himself with me unceasingly in a thousand and a thousand ways and treats me in all respects as his favorite. As this is the heart of the gospel, not condemnation, rescue, not performance in good works and righteousness and keeping the law, but faith in his son who did the ultimate final work and not begrudging annoyance or disappointment from God, unstoppable, unlimited love. For some of you here this morning, this is probably the first time you're hearing this, that God deeply loves you, despite you. Some of you, you're aware of where your soul is at. You're aware of the things that you have hidden away in the dark, 
that people don't even know about. God might be convicting you of it right now. So at this time, I want to ask that we all just bow our heads. Because there's, there's a need for us to, to respond to that conviction. If, if all you're walking away with today is feeling condemned because this gospel outed you as somebody who's not got everything together and is perfect, then I think you've missed the heart of God and the heart of this word. God loves you deeply and he wants you back to himself. He wants to show you the way of life. He wants to lavish you with his love day after day so that you wake up and there's a fresh batch of it every morning waiting for you to experience. And so if this is the first time you're hearing this and you want to come stand in the light, you are done with hiding, you're done with the shame, you want Jesus, you want rescue, you want God's love. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand? Praise God. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.